Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burrow's furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com/acast. That's burrow.com/acast. burrow.com/acast. Who owns Bitcoin now? As the price of the cryptocurrency continues to fall, who's sitting on heavy losses? Would you walk 12,500 steps per day to reduce the fees on your stocks and shares ISA? This is not an April Fool, it's the latest bonkers idea from the investment industry. We bring you the full story, and who'd be a wealth manager as the sector adapts to the threat of robo-advisors, those pesky millennials are putting principles before profit. Welcome to the Money Show. My name is Claire Barrett, editor of FT Money, bringing you this week's news in downloadable form. Now the idea of investing in Bitcoin prompts strong responses from our FT subscribers. Many argue that the highly volatile price of cryptocurrencies makes this more of a gamble than an investment. But others are intrigued by the technological possibilities of an anonymous international payment system operating independently of any central bank. So Hannah Murphy, the FT City reporter, added hugely to this debate last Saturday with her front-page FT story revealing data that gave a tantalizing glimpse into the changing makeup of Bitcoin's investor base. She joins me now in the studio to discuss. Welcome Hannah. Hi Claire. So the data in question showed a huge movement in the type of people who owned Bitcoin as the price soared upwards at the end of last year. Correct. So the data which was shared uh, with us by blockchain research company Chainalysis showed this distinct shift in the people who owned Bitcoin from longer-term investors, which they define as people who've held Bitcoin for more than a year, to speculators who've traded within the past year. So last November, this was just before the price more than doubled uh, in December to reach a peak of around uh, $20,000. The amount of Bitcoin held for investment was roughly three times that held by traders. But by April, the amount held by investors uh, was far closer to the amount held by short-term speculators. So about 6 million Bitcoin versus 5.1 million Bitcoin. And overall chain analysis estimates that these longer term holders sold at least 30 billion dollars worth of bitcoin to these new speculators over the period. So it means that several of these early investors who we profile in the piece were able to cash out and enjoy mega returns while many of the short term speculators flocked to the cryptocurrency just as the price peaked and started to go down and we'll be nursing losses now because we're seeing prices of around uh, $7,000 at the moment. and this injection of liquidity into the bitcoin marketplace in turn some uh, experts argue helped push the price down so there's a sort of cycle there well who are the bitcoin whales 
and why are they a worry? This was a an intriguing detail of the same research report. Right. So chain analysis analysed the size of Bitcoin holdings that are in existence and found that there were 1,600 investors who essentially hold close to a third of all available Bitcoin, equivalent to about $37 billion worth. And that's just... 1,600 people. That's just 1,600 people. So they each um, are holding. Yeah. Well, enough enough to fund a nice a nice lifetime, if, of course, they could sell. Right. So these big holders, they're known as Bitcoin whales, colloquially. The irony here is that the new technology that many proponents argue uh, should democratise finance and is a more sort of populist alternative to the current financial system. Actually, there's this huge concentration of wealth. Um, it means that if one of those holders want to sell some Bitcoin, they could easily move the price, which puts uh, smaller holders at a disadvantage. Uh, in fact, just this weekend, the price dropped about 10%, which uh, we believe was initially triggered by the hack of a South Korean exchange. But some analysts have also suggested that the drop was accelerated by a surge in trading volumes, potentially as a large sell order was dumped on the market. And another point to make is that because these Bitcoin holders are anonymous. We don't know the identities of these large players. The possibility for some sort of dodgy behaviour, some market manipulation Mm. is there. So many of the big early investors um, were in on quite a niche scene several years ago. Um, There's sort of thriving communities on Twitter, on Reddit, WhatsApp, Telegram. So it's possible um, that some can work in concert, sell together, um, and there's a very informal over-the-counter market that can facilitate that. So again, if this is going on, it's very much to the disadvantage of the smaller players. And, and of course, we don't have any idea who these Bitcoin whales are. They could be master criminals, they could be university students, they could just be people who were in the tech world and found out about Bitcoin early on and you know bought, bought in at the beginning and as you say you, you profile several people who fit that latter description in your piece including the intriguingly named bitcoin dad <laughs> i really i really liked him despite the fact that he's made um, fortunes through through bitcoin but but finally i know you're going to kill me for asking you this question but the research also showed that many people have lost their bitcoins as they can't find their passwords and i believe hannah murphy that this includes you <laughs> This does include me. So if you if you don't remember and you lose a password to your online Bitcoin wallet, uh, you get unlimited attempts at cracking the code. But there is absolutely no way to recover it. I say absolutely no way. There, uh, you've there have been tales of um, people going to hypnotists um, or building some sort of supercomputer to just whir through <laughs> endless passwords. Um, but these are for people who have lost uh, far more than me. I personally was uh, given five pounds worth of Bitcoin in 2013, 2014, um, which the December peak would have been worth several hundred quid. So that would have been nice. Um, I spent some time desperately trying to channel my 2014 self uh, back in <laughs> December and conjure up the password, but with little luck. But I- I'm not the only one. So the, the chain analysis data separates out uh, Bitcoin that it deems to be lost uh, or at least unused and not accessed for years and years. Um, and that totals uh, 3.7 uh, million Bitcoin worth about uh, 28 billion dollars worth 
So that's just out there in the ether. Behind the digital uh, sofa. <laughs> behind the digital sofa, gone wow, forever. Well, an absolutely fascinating subject. Thank you so much there to Hannah Murphy, the FT City reporter, owner of Lost Bitcoin and fantastic writer. You can read her full FT Money cover feature, Who Owns Bitcoin Now, online now at ft.com slash money. And do check out the stunning graphics from our in-house tech guy, Alan Smith. Coming up on The Money Show, how you could win £500 from the FT for one minute's work. Before that, a new story this week turned the concept of performance fees on its head. How far would you be prepared to go to cut the fees on your stocks and shares ISA? How about upping your step count? Going to the gym more often, or maybe a regular five-kilometre park run at the weekend? Well, a new product offers to cut or even waive platform fees for those who are at peak financial fitness. Oliver Ralph, the FT's insurance correspondent, break the story. Welcome, Oliver. Thank you. So it sounds a bit like an April Fool, but actually this is a, a serious proposition. Yeah, it is absolutely a serious proposition. The company behind it is called Vitality. They've been around for some years selling life insurance and health insurance that's linked to your your own health. So if you, if you wear a Fitbit, if you do exercise, if you do various other things, you can get uh, cheaper health insurance and life insurance. And that kind of makes sense yeah. that the healthier you are, the, the better it is for your insurance company. The longer you'll live, so your premium will will come exactly. down but then extending it to reduced platform fees on the stocks and shares ISA for investing that's a little bit of a strange they, they say it makes perfect sense and it's the natural extension so the, the way it works is this you um you you invest in one of their stocks and shares ISAs and if you follow their plan and, and do more exercise and follow the, the sort of suggestions then they they re- gradually reduce the flat platform fees they say this works out well for everybody because if you're a healthier person who lives longer and has more money for longer then you'll have your money with them for longer and they'll do better out of it over the long term. They, they say everyone's a winner out of this. Mm. Well, I mean, I can certainly see the connection between health and wealth when we're thinking about the ageing society, living for longer. I won't reach state pension age until 68, um, now that the government's changed the rules, but will I be able to work that long um, if I get a health condition in my late 50s, like diabetes? Then that could reduce the number of years that I'm able to actually you know, bring in the bacon. So Absolutely, to speak. there is definitely some logic to it, and there's other parts of the plan. For example, if you have a a pension with them and you're in drawdown, they give you higher bonuses if you draw down less money. They say they want to incentivize people to make their money last longer, mm. and so they incentivize you to to spend less in the early years of your retirement. So, in theory, it makes sense. It uh, it's an interesting question though whether in, in practice people will be willing to do all of this just to to cut their feet. Well, yes, because there's one thing about being nudged, but then. It, is, is it more of a nudge or a prod? So you've got a sheet in front of you. So what you would have to do to obtain platinum status, um, which means that you'd pay zero platform fees, you know, saving you potentially a couple of hundred pounds a year if you had a very large um, ISA pot, what would you need to do? So quite a lot. You need to work your your way up from bronze status, where you where you pay uh, higher fees, all the way up to platinum. And along the way, there's lots of things you can do to earn the points, which give you the status. You know, in the early stages, you just have to say you're not a smoker, or or take a health check, and uh, sort of 
confirm you're not a smoker as part of the health check, that kind of thing. But as you go on through the stages, you need to commit to going to the gym, uh, say, three times a week for eight weeks, or you need to commit to taking 12,500 steps a day uh, five times a week for six weeks. So mm. you need, yeah, and, and as you go up and move through the stages, your commitments become ever higher. So, you know, later on, after you get to gold, you have to reach 12,500 steps per day five times a week for eight weeks. So you, you need to, to keep going and keep doing the exercise. There's lots of ways to earn the points, but uh, you need to keep going at it pretty uh, relentlessly to, and we to have cut had, the fees. We have had a bit of a laugh in the office because if you're a couple doing this, um, then you, you don't need to, to amass so many points um, to, to get the platinum status. But we were saying, like, good marriages end. This is it. <laughs> it's, it's a whole new way of introducing stress to the home, isn't it? If one person is seen to be not exercising enough and then costing the costing the family more it's uh, yeah perhaps a recipe for a strife there the other terrible supposition we made was that if you were pretty unfit person and really keen to get your investment fees down you might go for the burn and sprain your ankle or, or worse you know yes well this is it if you injure yourself you can't do all these steps or workouts or, or whatever it is and if you're not used to exercising i guess there are there are dangers in that and then you know then there's the the question of if, if you get uh if you get ill and you can't exercise, now I think that possibility is is built into Vitality's product. But still, it's something you, you've got to bear in mind. And the other thing with this is that you, in order to qualify for this idea of doing exercise and lowering your investment fees, you also need to have a life or health insurance product with Vitality. Well, yes, that's a pretty major catch if you, like us, have got a very good life um, cover policy with your employer. Yes. So yeah, it, then it, you'd be paying for something you didn't need in order to make a saving. Absolutely, yes. If you've already got life insurance elsewhere, it's probably not worth doing. I think they're trying to to pull in people and and do everything for them from life insurance to investment and trying to get people fairly early who are used to wearing devices and monitoring what mm, they're doing and sharing information say, yes. and that kind of thing. It does smack of um, of, of of the millennial. Um, yes, all I, of the I think that's absolutely who they're targeting. Yeah. But then you know why not? It's a different approach. It's an interesting one. Tell us what you think about this. Um, Oliver's written a new story which is on our website now, ft.com/money, and I'm also going to have a few riffs on this in my serious money column um, in the newspaper at the week. Weekend. Um, some important caveats um, will be revealed in that. So send us your thoughts, our email address money at ft.com or tweet us at ftmoney. Wealthy people, they're demanding customers at the best of times, but the demands being made on the wealth management profession are piling up. They already have MIFID 2 regulations and Brexit to contend with, but the so-called next gen, the children and grandchildren of the wealthy families they look after, have vastly different ideas about investing to their forebears. Joining me on the line to discuss is FT Money reporter Kate Bearley, who's been writing about the subject this week. Welcome, Kate. Hiya. So what are the main ways that wealth managers say they are adapting their business model to cater for the demanding next gen? Um, well, according to both wealth managers and actually that next generation of clients um, who they serve, one thing that younger people really care about is investing in funds with more of an ethical or kind of sustainable slant. Um, there's a sense that the next generation kind of really wants to know where their money's going and wants mm. to do uh, more good with their money or use it for impact. So a lot of wealth managers are putting together kind of specialised ethical or ESG portfolios to kind of aim towards those clients. So that's one thing. There's also a sense um, from wealth managers that the younger generation expects far more in terms of tech and definitely in terms of up-to-date information. So 
the older generation potentially less bothered about kind of looking at their phones and seeing, you know, day-to-day portfolio movements. But young people are more used to kind of being on their phones all the time, rolling news cycles. They want more information presented to them like that. So everyone's kind of investing in tech to get towards it. Um, and quite an interesting one, I thought, was that actually this next generation wants potentially more advice and more guidance. And that's particularly for those who might be inheriting, for example, a family business. And if they're quite young, you know, feeling the weight of that responsibility. And a lot of them said what they want is um, is a manager who's more of a kind of counsel to them. Mm. Well, you met and spoke to quite a few so-called next geners for this article, not just mm. the wealth managers, but the clients. Did their views surprise you? Well, there were, there were things that definitely didn't surprise me. I, I wasn't really surprised that they were more interested in kind of ethical and impact um, investing, I guess, because that is quite... Uh, we hear that a lot about younger investors and particularly as we're kind of, you know, more likely to be facing things like climate change, see the impact of that. Mm. So I wasn't so surprised by that. And also wasn't surprised with uh, the view I got quite a lot, which was that people wanted to, you know, forge their own way um, and not necessarily do things in the way their parents had done. Um, but I guess one thing I hadn't considered quite as much was how keen people were to have kind of their own relationship with a wealth manager so, you know, in tandem too, but separate to their parents, for example. So several people said how important it was for them to have a client relationship manager who was quite like them. So their own age, maybe, mm. uh, maybe even similar interests. Um, one said specifically he didn't want to follow his, you know, daddy's orders in terms of taking <laughs> yeah, that made me laugh. <laughs> his father's wealth manager. So I thought that was quite interesting. And then separately, you've also written a millennial money column in FT Money this week all about ESG investing. So tell us a bit about what it is and why it's becoming more popular. Yeah, um, well, ESG investing generally is the idea of creating funds or portfolios of companies uh, that are screened for their ethical or sustainable criteria. But the E stands for environmental. The E stands, yeah. And in fact, we're not supposed to say ethical anymore, according to these funds, but it's ethical, social and governance. That's what the SG stands for. And so these funds normally either they'll prioritise or kind of overweight companies with good credentials. So maybe um, companies that are doing good things for the environment or doing good things in, their, in a local community, for example, and then you have funds that will screen out or kind of punish companies that engage in certain activities like gambling or arms or tobacco. And so it's definitely, it's definitely a big zeitgeist at the moment. We've got new funds launching in this space kind of every week, it feels, and there have been real record inflows from retail investors into them. I mean, is it the, in terms of what's driving it, I guess it's often said that this is all about millennials, about young investors who, you know, we're supposed to be more green and care more for the planet and things. Um, but I think there is also a massive push from institutional funds and particularly pension funds who are kind of, you know, maybe ticking a bit of a CSR box there. So I don't think it's potentially quite as um, quite a kind of evangelical millennial push as that people say it is. Yes, well, it can appeal to investors and indeed listeners of any age. Well, thanks very much there to Kate Bailey, FT Money reporter and millennial money columnist. Our annual wealth management survey will be nestling inside this Saturday's edition of the Weekend FT alongside Kate's column or read it online at ft.com slash money. Now, as I promised earlier in the podcast, here's how you could win a whopping £500 for barely a minute's work. The FT is currently reviewing all of its podcasts and we want to hear some listener feedback. So to complete our survey online, go to ft.com slash podcast feedback and enter our prize draw 
you could be the lucky winner. That's it for the Money Show this week. To give us your feedback or be put in touch with our team of experts, drop us an email, money at ft.com, comment on our articles online, or follow us on Twitter at ftmoney. We'll be back next week at the usual time. Goodbye. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.